Warren Webb was the only butcher in his small town. He served his pork chops, steaks, ground beef to all who came. And he was also part-time banker. Not because he wanted to be, but because people didn't always pay their bills. So he managed to sustain the economy a little bit between those times when people had cash in their pockets and they didn't. It worked okay for many years, and Warren was glad to be part of the economic scene in West Worthing, Saskatchewan. But then a downturn in the economy made some of the other income hard to get, and the bills that had been there for hours and days and years and ages suddenly weren't getting paid. What to do? Eventually, Warren Webb decided that he had to go out of business. He posted a sign in the window of his butcher shop that faced the main street, hoping that it might spark people's thinking and get them to pay the bills. It didn't help until he added a second sign. <laughs> it was amazing. Suddenly, the money showed up, and Warren Webb was able to keep his business going. I don't know how you are. I know that I have problems of forgetfulness at times. It's something of the human condition, isn't it? We're born lacking anything to forget. We absorb like sponges throughout our lives. We come to know so much. In fact, we all know more than the person sitting next to us even today, right? You know more than the person that's sitting next to you. We've all forgotten a time or two. The passage that we're going to look at this morning has forgetfulness embedded in it. It's a little bit unfortunate, but that's what's taking place. Uh, we should go back to the one just before this. There's, there's another one in between there. Eh, it doesn't seem like it's showing up. Well, the three parts of the book of Exodus look like this. Remember, we talked about it last time that the Bible begins at Exodus 20, where for the first time God says, write this down, write this down, write this down. There had been plenty of encounters between the Creator and the people of His creation. That was never an issue. What was going on is that they didn't have an ongoing record until the time that Israel stood at Mount Sinai and God made covenant with His people Israel. That's Exodus 20 through 24. And part of that involves the very words of a and vassal covenant. I am Yahweh your God. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Then we get the Ten Commandments and all of the dynamics of this relationship between God and God's people. The beginning of Exodus is sort of a briefer explanation of that coming out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, how there was a Pharaoh who had forgotten all of God's people and God's mercies and had forgotten the great leader Joseph who had gotten the people there. Things were looking bad for the people of Israel. And then 
God said, let my people go, and they eventually got out, and there they were. What we're looking at today is what happens next. God is still thundering, blazing from Mount Sinai. The people are still camped out below. Moses still has other things that he needs to talk with God about, and that's where we get into the uh, passage for today. Uh, The last part of the book of Exodus involves these three things. Next Sunday, we're going to look at that last part there, the construction and dedication of the temple. But for today, it's that golden calf right in the middle of this last part of Exodus that will be the focus of our attention. Here's the story. You know the story. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, let us make gods who go, uh, let us make, make us gods before us. As the fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that, are, that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Well, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to... Yahweh. That's the name you see whenever there's Lord in capital letters. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then Yahweh said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, Yahweh said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make into you make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of Yahweh, his God. Yahweh, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was evil with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountain and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised to them. It will be their inheritance forever." Then Yahweh relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Hmm. There it is. Notice that the Israelites had problems remembering. But notice, too, that they did not have problems remembering that they had come out of Egypt out of slavery. 
They had problems remembering how that happened. Quickly, the story turned into something that they could control. Why was God so angry with them for making a golden calf? Not because the calf was insignificant. This was a pretty big deal. We all make gods. The problem is that we make gods in our image or according to the things that we find as power, prestige, authority, substance, things that we can show as mighty. The problem was not so much that the people made the golden calf as much as what the golden calf represented. Remember that they were farmers in Egypt. Everybody's farmers in those times. 99.9% of the population is farmers. There are no stores. There are marketplaces. You want something to eat, you grow it, you catch it, you fish for it, you kill it, or you get it in the marketplace where it's recently been living and now is dead. Everybody's involved in agriculture. And what was the largest farm implement they could ever hope to have? A young bull calf. This is an honor to Yahweh. This is saying, we can't think of anything that's stronger than this. You're the strongest thing we can think of. Except, except, except for one thing. The problem with the bull calf is that it can be controlled by goads held in the hands of people. We get to control our gods. And that was the problem that Yahweh was facing. You think I'm just another little thing that you can control, powerful as I am? You can just do what you want and make me dance to your tune? What do you think this is? What do you think was going on when I fought Pharaoh of Egypt for you? And that's when God does something. Now we have to think about this in terms of how the human language functions. Obviously, God knew what was going on. Obviously, God knew what the future was all about. But in this instant, there had to be a lesson to be learned. And so God acted as if he was going to wipe out this people or walk away from them. After all, he said to Moses, I did it before and I can do it again. I took Abraham. I took him by the hand. I walked with him. I was with him. I said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. I said to him, I'm going to give you a land. Moses, I'm not sure about these people. I don't particularly like them. I don't think you do either. What could Moses say? He kind of didn't like them either. Why don't you and I just walk off and we'll start over like I did with Abraham? Now, God knows already what God is going to do. But this is a lesson that Israel has to learn. God could walk away from us. And that's when the story gets really interesting. Because the next thing that happens is that Moses says to Yahweh, You can't do that. You cannot walk away from these people. You can't take me over into the corner and start over. I know it's possible. 
in the realm of possibilities, but you cannot do that. Why not? And Moses gives two reasons, two reasons why God cannot walk away from Israel. Number one, God's on a mission. Remember what the Bible is all about? We like to make it into personal verses that make us feel good for the day, a thought for today. That's not what the Bible's about. The Bible's about one thing and one thing only. It's the mission of God. The loving Father, Son, and Spirit in their relationship of love said, how can we expand the horizons of this great love we share? Let us create humankind in our own image, and in the image of God they created them, male and female, so that we could express love, so that we could show what it means to be committed to someone else, so that we could feel what it is to have the fuzzies of love, to know what it means to be intimate with one another. That's what love is about. And God made us in God's image. And then all God's kids left home, walked away, forgot their maker. And God is on a mission to regather all of the children of God from around the world. But how to do that? How to do that? And God started with that little family of Abram. Maybe if I teach these people, if I hold these people, if I stick with these people, maybe if I shape their lives by my covenant, maybe they will understand and they will live in such a way that others will say, wow, whatever it is you have, we want that too, and all God's kids will come back home. That's the story of the Bible. So he's working with this people. And now if God takes this people and begins the journey as he has, and they walk out of Egypt, and people say, that can't be. The Egyptians are the most powerful nation on earth. That can't be that this little ragtag group of slaves just walks away from that. How can you even talk about that? Suddenly the whole world is sitting up and taking notice. This is bigger than the sports scores. This is bigger than spring break. This is bigger than the next political election. This actually matters. And now, and now, and now, if God, who's begun this journey with Israel, walks away from these people and they die in the wilderness, what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we knew it. It was just another blip on the radar. Now things will get back to normal and we'll recover our normal sense of power and who's in charge and all of that. This was pretty amazing, but it was sure to fail. And nobody would ever again listen to anything that Yahweh had to say or do. He had blown his chance. You can't do this. You started a mission. You started a mission, and if you drop it now, no one will ever turn to you again. That's one thing Moses says. Here's the second. You made a promise. God, you cannot walk away from these people because you made a promise to them. What? You made covenant with them. You committed yourself to them. You got married to them. You said you will be there for them. You cannot go back on your promise or you are not who you are. You cannot stick with these people and then walk away from them and be the person, the God that you say you are. 
It is by way of a promise that things move forward. Promises. We make promises. We make promises and we are who we are. When we make promises, things happen. When we bear children, we make promises. Promises are the things that make us who we can be. Without promises, nothing matters. Promises. And so it is with God. Promises are funny things. They're really at the heart of what our lives are all about. Years ago, Thornton Wilder had his wonderful play, By the Skin of Our Teeth, words taken from the book of Job, where Job is in agony and pain, and what does he say? We've gotten through this by the skin of our teeth. Well, Thornton Wilder made a play that he called that, and he tried to walk through all of human history, com uh, compressing it into the lives of just one couple, George and Maggie Antrobus. George and Maggie Antrobus are every person for all times and all places. And you can see all of human history kind of evolving around them. And then finally, near the end, it's come past the Great War, you know, the war to end all wars. And George comes home from serving in the military, and he's uh, had a different attitude toward life. Things look differently than they did before. And he tells Maggie that, eh, you know, it's a new world, and he needs a new partner to walk into this new world with, and he loves Miss Fairweather, and uh, he wants to get a divorce, and then, then they're going to get married together. And he expects kind of an explosion from Maggie. They've been together for a long time, but she doesn't explode. Instead, she sits down on the steps outside their home, and she says a few things to George, and this is basically what it's all about. She says to him, I didn't marry you because you were perfect. I married you because you gave me a promise, the promise made up for your faults. And the promise I gave you made up for mine. Two imperfect people got married, and it was the promise that made the marriage. And when our children were growing up, it wasn't a house that protected them. It was that promise. There's truth to that, isn't there? We have the power to go this way, to go that way. We have the power to create these gods. We have the power to settle with this or go with that. We have the power to change our minds. But do we actually have the courage to make a promise and to keep it? Do we know who we are? Children of God who makes promises. I go to my students at the prison in Muskegon, and the first class session is always a little nervous. Four sets of clanging gates shut behind me as I walk through the yard. I meet with these people who are there for various reasons that we're just not going to talk about. But some of them tell me in bits and pieces of their stories, of the robberies they were involved with and people got killed, how they were caught in this act or that act, how they ought to be dead but are alive because of the gunshots that they have received at the hands of, uh, pol of police officers. We are wary about one another, 
and they ask me, why are you here? And that's not an idle question. They want to know, why am I here? And I tell them of my own journey through faith and life, this commitment, that commitment, this perspective, that perspective. I say, after all these years, I think we humans only really have three major worldviews. And I hold my fingers up in front of my eyes because the glasses of our souls need some way to focus on what truly matters. Some of us in this human race think that this world is self-generated and self-sustaining, that it came into being by itself, it continues to live for itself, there's no God, there's no powers outside the system, within the system it's all mechanical. It happens because of properties that are innate in the system, we can't explain the system, but there they are. And we go with the flow as much as we can, or we fight against it as much as we can, and we live our lives, and then we die, and then we are gone. Or some of us think that this world is actually a living system. You have a body. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have a body. Your body has a unique number of cells. Do you know that more than the number of cells that are part of your body, there are viruses and bacteria all over, in and around and within you? So many bacteria that it's more than the cells of your body. You're carrying a great weight. You can explain that to your doctor next time your doctor says, uh, what was your weight again? Just say it's all the bacteria that are living on me. <laughs> it's like the coronavirus. It can't live on its own, but it finds us to live. And if the coronavirus is too deadly, it will kill us and it will die. But this world is like a living system and life and time are the way that the system functions. There may be no gods outside the system, but all the powers of the system have intelligence and meaning and purpose. And so it's important for us to live with the system, to go with the flow, because we have life in us and around us and through us. We are part of life itself. And when this thing dies, that life will go on and on and on and on and on and on like a Celine Dion song. Life will go on, but not this, not this. We call it transmigration of the soul or reincarnation. And there are future lives because life goes on, but this does not. And the best we can do while we have this particular expression of life is to live in the flow rather than against the flow. If like the coronavirus, we try to kill the host, the host will kill us too. Or, or, or some of us actually believe that there is a creator who exists outside the system. That this God is the one who intended for the system to be what the system is, and we call that creation. And that within the grander scope of the creation, there are these creatures that are made in the image of God, and that God makes promises and the thing that marks these creatures who are made in the image of God is that they too make promises. They live as if living matters. They live with the intention of bringing the best out of others around them, nurturing the possibilities of loving relationships, helping those who are stumbling and falling and have no way to get up again. And this is the message of the Bible. It's the message of monotheism generally, 
And each one in these three macro worldviews, there are different alterations or different perspectives or different religions or different philosophies. And within this one, there's the religion of Israel. There's Christianity. There's Islam. And we all see this thing happening and believe this thing happening in a certain way. Now, the thing is, you can't prove a worldview. You can't prove there is a God. You can't prove there's not a God. You can't prove that the world is not a living system. You can't prove that it's not. And so in the end, we live, how does Paul put it? By faith. And what does faith mean? Ultimately, we believe that God makes promises. And we live because those promises matter. And when God said to Israel at Mount Sinai, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a place of slavery, that that changed their lives. They have the possibility of turning in another direction, holding to other gods, thinking about other promises, or living in ways that they think matter more. But if this is true, if this is true, that changes everything. That's what I tell my prison students. That's what I tell my students at Hope College Western Seminary. That's what I believe. And the reason that I stick with the God of the Bible is because the God of the Bible stuck with me, stuck with us, and made this world a different place when we were running away from God and away from home. And when we come back, my, it feels like a different place. I know what you've been hearing. I've seen you hide your fears, embarrassed by your weaknesses, afraid to let me near. I wish you knew how much I long for you to understand no matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand. I know you've been forsaken by all you've known before when you failed their expectations, they frowned and closed the door. But even if your heart itself should lose the will to stand, no matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand. The life that I have given you, no one can take away. I've sealed it with my spirit, blood, and word. The everlasting Father has made his covenant with you, and it's stronger than the world you've seen and heard. So don't you fear to show them all the love I have for you, and I'll be with you everywhere in everything you do. And even if you do it wrong and miss the joy I've planned, no matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand, no matter what may happen, child. I'll never let go of your hand. God made a promise. You're here because of the promise of God. You can make promises too. And insofar as you make and keep your promises, you are like God. Pray with me. Give us your grace for the living of these days that we might know who we are and whose we are. Thanks for the promises you've made and kept and how life matters because of it. And give us the courage
to make and keep promises that truly matter. Amen.